And perhaps the only thing harder than making money is giving it away. For a lot of people, giving away their hard-earned money is one of the, the most difficult things they can do. It's a story of a church meeting where a wealthy man rose up to tell his testimony to everyone present about his Christian faith. And he said this, quote, I'm a millionaire, and I attribute it all to the rich blessings of God in my life. I remember the turning point of my faith. I had just earned my first dollar, and I went to a church meeting that night. The speaker was a missionary who told about his work. I knew that I only had one dollar bill, and I had to either give it all to God's work or nothing at all. So at that moment, I decided to give my whole dollar to God, and I believe that God blessed that decision, and that is why I'm a rich man today, end quote. He finished, and there was an odd silence after his testimony as he went back to his seat. And as he sat down, a little old lady in his pew next to him leaned over and said, well, I dare you to do it again. <laughs> a little unexpected. But I'm sure if you were in this man's shoes... your answer would be pretty obvious. No, you're not going to do it again. You're you're not going to give your millions now and and be left with nothing just to give to God. I mean, if your logic and if your faith held up, you'd be in the same boat. You'd be even more richly blessed this time around, right? But now that you have money, you've grown accustomed to it, you've grown fond of it. Before, when you didn't have any, you didn't know what you were missing, but now you have a whole standard of living to, you know, be accustomed to. You can't give that up. So I'm sure you know what I mean, and and like I said, at the very least, giving is hard to do. Some people find it incredibly hard just to give a small amount of what they have to others, let alone everything. Why is this? Why is it so hard for, for so many to give money away? Well, the more money you make, the more money you have. The more you get wooed by all the things that money buys. Of course, money provides for your basic needs, food, water, clothing, shelter. You've got to have that. But money can also buy a little measure of happiness. There are nicer cars to be had, nicer houses, nicer vacations. Money can buy people, at least they think, security. And what if something goes wrong? What if you lose your job? What if you have medical bills? You need that that little savings to, to fall back on. And for these reasons and more, many people, as they start to make more money, they come to rely on money more. They use money more. They, they come to love money more and slowly but surely a tiny little altar to money is built up in their heart and with each pay raise they find themselves bowing down just a little bit more to to the god of money they're living for money they're serving money they're making all their big life decisions based on money and for such people it's just really hard to give money away they they love it too much this is why it's no surprise to learn that giving steadily declines as people make more money. The people who give the greatest percentage of their income are, are those with the lowest incomes. If you make 50000 or less, statistically, you give the, the greatest percentage of your income, even more than the millionaire or the 10 millionaire. Just imagine that. You finally get to the point in life where you make $10 million a year, but you still somehow justify spending that almost entirely on yourself. It's pretty amazing. But this just highlights the power and the danger of wealth. What makes money so powerful is that it serves as a gateway to our heart's desires, which are more often than not sinful. And the fallen person is living for one thing and one thing only, and that is self. And money is the key that unlocks the door to all of the self's desires. But this is why I think God is so concerned that we, as Christians, give our money away. 
When you come to salvation, you realize life is not about you anymore. It's about the Lord. It's not about your will being done, but about his will being done. And one serious way that you display that God has control of your life, that you are living for his will, is by giving. It's not just your money, your time, your efforts, but in addition, your money. Because as you give, it's really like you are giving away love for self. And you are expressing you have a greater love now, love for God, love for others. And this is pleasing to to God. I'm not trying to say that money is evil or that you shouldn't even enjoy the fruit of your labor. That's not the point. But as believers, we don't want to be captured by the allure of money. And giving is a way that we shield our hearts from a love of money. This morning, we're returning to talk about the subject of money, specifically giving. Normally, here on Sunday mornings, we're going through the Gospel of Mark, verse by verse. But around the new year, I like to take a little break and talk about a few other pertinent issues. And that's what we're continuing to do today with this whole subject of giving. And it really is true. Giving, it's hard to do. But by far, religious people give the most. They have the easiest time giving, but not so fast. And we learned the past couple weeks that for a lot of people, a lot of religious people, they are giving their money for the wrong reasons and in the wrong manner. A lot of people give money out of a sense of religious guilt. Others out of some desire to earn some religious merit before God. Both of these are very common but totally misguided and wrong reasons for giving. And so that's why two weeks ago we set out first to correct these wrong motives for giving, which in the church today mostly take the form of tithes, the practice of tithing. And so that's why two weeks ago I preached a whole sermon on why you should not tithe. Tithing was an Old Testament practice for Israel. It was never meant for the church. It's made its way into the church for sure. But most people who practice tithing are usually wrapped up in in giving in the wrong way and for the wrong reasons. Usually they feel like they're just doing it to be obedient to God. They're being good Christians. This is what makes you a Christian. But this is not the case. Tithing is not for Christians today. And that was a message two weeks ago. You have to get that if you weren't here. But then last week, we really spent all of our time talking about, well, really why we do all things as Christians. Not just giving, but why do we go to church on Sunday mornings? Why do we sing these songs? Why do we read the Bible and pray? Why do we do everything that we do as a Christian? Again, a lot of Christians approach these spiritual disciplines like they're chores or obligations, these rules that have to be followed. These are just the things you do that make you a Christian. That's why we do them. But this is false. Rather, you are made a Christian by only one thing. God's grace, working through your faith in Christ Jesus, apart from any works of the law. See, when you come to that point, when you come to the point of turning from your sin, placing your faith in Christ, that's when God saves you and he transforms you. He makes you born again. You become new. You have a new heart. You have new desires. You have a new spirit even. The Holy Spirit residing within you. That's what makes you a Christian. And that also comes with a new goal in life. For those who truly know the Lord, you you have a new goal, and it's not hard. You know what it is. It is to please the God who saved you. Christ gave his life for you. Now you are happy to to give your life for him. You're living for the Lord now. And so if you want a one-word summary of, of why we do everything that we do as Christians, it would be love. Like Christ himself taught us, We do all things because of love, love for God, which extends into a love for others. So why do we why do we come to church on Sunday mornings and read our Bible and pray and sing songs and and the whole works, everything that we do as Christians? 
not trying to earn some favor, we're not just obeying some list of commands. We're doing it because we want to do it. Out of hearts that have been redeemed and changed and desire to please God in all respects and worship Him. That's why. That's why we do everything. And we made the point last week as we closed, that's also why we give. Giving is really no different. Giving is just another expression of our love for God, even our love for others. If you give to the church out of obligation or guilt or some idea that you're just trying to obey the commands and be a good Christian, you've got it all wrong. If your heart is detached from your giving, it's not even worship. God doesn't even care. It's not about your money. He doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. And when he has your heart, then your gifts and your offerings become true expressions of worship. That's where we left off the past couple weeks. But that being said, I don't want you to get the impression that God doesn't care if you give. Because he does. That God cares very much so that you do give. The past couple weeks, I've been really downplaying giving when it comes to giving in the wrong manner, giving for the wrong reasons. But don't let that lead you to believe that giving is not important to God. Yes, he wants your heart, but he still wants you to give. He wants the action as well. And so the act of giving, when driven by a right heart, a heart of worship, then becomes a real act of worship to God, and and that's important. And that's something we're going to explore today. And so far, we haven't actually built the case for biblical giving, or why we should give. I mean, we tore down the case for tithing, this very you know, religious practice from the Old Testament. So we did away with that. And then we built up the case for doing all things out of a heart of worship. And that's good. That's important. But we still really haven't rebuilt the case for giving at, as new covenant believers. I mean, is this still something God wants us to do? We're not living in the Old Testament anymore. Does he still really want us to give? Is it that big of a deal? Or is he content that he just has warm, fuzzy feelings in our heart? Does he want something more? You need to find out. And granted, I'm sure if I ask you guys very simple, yes or no, you think God is pleased when you give from a right heart, you'd all get the answer right. Of course, yes. That's kind of a no-brainer. But if I asked you to, to give me ten reasons why it is so vastly important to God that you give, why it is so pleasing to him, well, you might have a harder time putting that together, putting that to words. Why, why does God care so much that we be giving? It's a valid question that we haven't really talked about so far, and we want to be informed today about that. Giving really is a huge part of God's will for our lives. And yes, we want to do all things from a redeemed heart, but our hearts need to be properly informed. You can't follow and pursue God's will if you don't know God's will. And so we need to know very clearly what is God's will when it comes to this whole practice of giving, which a lot of people get wrong, and we want to get it right. So we're going to try and discover that now. My goal today is just to display to you from Scripture the real importance, really the vast importance of giving to God, and specifically for us as New Covenant believers. I want to show you a lot of the main reasons God wants us to give. And yes, we have to always respond of our own free will. It's never under obligation. But your response will always be weak and shallow unless you are firmly convicted that God wants you to do this. This is a real form of worship to him, driven from a right heart. So there's a step we need to take. We need to find out what giving is all about in a meaningful way. So to help you specifically this morning, I want to give you 
10 reasons why God wants you to give. It's pretty straightforward, but nonetheless, I want to give you kind of the overwhelming picture, not just one or two, but 10 reasons why God wants us to give, why it's so important to God that we have this whole practice of giving. Continuing the thread from last week, you know, why do we do the things that we do? Well, we want to get the heart right, but now the actual practice, why do some of you just drop money in a plate? Why would you ever do that? Well, we want to find out why this is such a big deal to God. Let me give you 10 reasons. It's going to be fast. We're going to, we're going to rail through these, but at the same time, I want you to see really the, the, the broad perspective of this from many different angles, why it's such a big deal. All right, so 10 reasons why God wants you to give. The first is this, number one. Giving is a chief expression of love for God and others. Giving is a chief expression of love for God and others. This one, I hope it's obvious, especially after last week. We already displayed that as, as New Covenant Christians, we're not under the law of Moses anymore. Instead, now, if, if you want to make it simple, we're, we're, we're governed by one standard. It's a standard of love. Like Christ himself said, he repeated the two greatest commands which still hold true for today. Number one, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Number two, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Galatians 5.14 said the whole Old Testament law, really the will of God is summarized by just that, this law of love, so to speak. And, and love is right up giving's alley. That's what giving is all about. Now, we, obviously, we can't wire our money to God in heaven and, and not like he would care, even if we could. But we can give to God's purposes here on earth out of a love for him. And furthermore, you know, love for God and love for others, they're so tied at the hip that as we give to others in need, we are both giving to them and to God at the same time. We are showing them love and God love at the same time. Now listen to this verse. I'm not going to make you turn to every verse I'm going to talk about because there's too many, but I'll tell you a few of them. And listen, listen along to this one. 1 John 3, 16 through 18. It's so clear cut. It says this. 1 John 3, 16 through 18. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? In verse 18, little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. I mean, that's so simple and it's so clear. Look, we've, we've received the, the most profound gift of love in Christ ever. And now you turn around, look at yourself. You have the world's goods. You don't have to be a millionaire. You've got a car, you've got a house, you, have, you can feed yourself, pay the bills. Then you have the world's goods. But then you see someone in need, real need, who doesn't have those world's goods, but yet you close your heart against them. What does that say about you? It's really betraying a cold dead, potentially even unredeemed heart, a heart that hasn't been touched by the love of God. You say you love God, you say you love others. This verse basically says, put your money where your mouth is. Your bank statement reveals where your heart is. You can tell a lot about what a person loves by how they give or maybe lack thereof. So are you expressing love for God, love for others by your giving? James chapter 2 Verses 15 through 16, very similar. For James says, If a brother or sister is without clothing 
and in need of daily food. And one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and be filled. And yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? And we, we all know this verse. It's like one of those hollow blessings. Oh, well, the Lord bless you. But then you leave them starving. It's like, well, really? You, you catch the inconsistency there. James uses this as an illustration, by the way, of dead faith. It's part of James 2 where he's illustrating dead faith. That's a non-saving faith. But rather, living faith or saving faith expresses a genuine love for others by giving. When the need is real, even at personal cost. The bottom line is this. There's no such thing as a true Christian who doesn't love God and others. And therefore, there's no such thing as a true Christian who doesn't give to God and others. It it, it is that simple. Living is a chief expression of our love for God, a love for others, especially other Christians, others in the household of faith. And that leads to reason number two. Giving meets the needs of the saints. Number two, giving meets the needs of the saints. Really, everything from here on out is just derivative from reason number one, you know, expression of love for God and others. That's what it's all about. But I still, I want to show you how overwhelmingly and broadly important this is to God. So I'm going to give you some more reasons. And secondly, giving meets the needs of the saints. And when I say the word saints, by the way, I don't mean these holy guys in stained glass windows. Just the Bible uses that word to talk about all Christians. So you're all saints if you're truly saved. But giving is the way we help others in need, others in the church especially, and that's something the New Testament outright commands us to do. Romans chapter 12, verse 10, verse 13. Paul says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Verse 13, Contributing to the needs of the saints and practicing hospitality. It's pretty plain. We are, we are instructed to contribute to the needs of the saints. If you see a fellow believer, and they don't have to be at this church even, but you see a fellow believer and they have need, time, money, energy, just a helping hand, whatever, they have a need, and you can meet that need, you have the ability, well, you are more than exhorted to, to do so. We're really compelled to do so. See a beautiful picture of this in Acts chapter 4, right when the church started, You had thousands of Jews come to salvation in Jerusalem, and then most of them right away were homeless. And you think, well, how could that be? Why were they homeless? Well, most of these Jews were in Jerusalem for the feast, and then a lot of them get saved. They don't want to go home because there's no Christians where they came from. It's just starting. So they wanted to stay in Jerusalem with the other Christians to fellowship, to learn. But they don't have a home there. Who's going to feed them and clothe them and, and give them a house? Well, the answer comes in Acts chapter 4. You see this in verse 32 and following. It says, And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. And not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. Verse 34, For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. Now keep in mind, there's no command here for us to sell everything, have communal property, and equalize all our wealth like like socialism. That's not the point. But at the same time, it is very good and only proper for those who have much and who have the means to help those without, especially if they're in the household of God. And that's what we see in the early church. They were just so overflowing with love for God and others 
They were happy to get rid of some of their wealth to help those who had real needs. And that, that's a good thing by far. The church is your spiritual family, so why wouldn't you lend a helping hand with someone in your family, in your spiritual family at that? So this is something we aim to mimic today. Part of your giving at this church goes toward benevolence. We're helping other Christians in need. You know, what if there's a single mom, loses her job, can't support her kids? Or there's an elderly man, and he has an unexpected medical bill, and he can't pay. The church is here to help one another for legitimate needs. Now, we're not going to send you on a cruise or a vacation or, you know, help pay off your mortgage or whatnot. But if the need is real, your brothers and sisters should jump at that opportunity to help with the essentials of life. And even with those unexpected back-breaking burdens of life, you, you should be able to count on your family to help. Having others who care for us, it's one of the great blessings of the church. So you should give to help meet the needs of the saints. That's part of your giving at church goes to that. And really nothing should stop you individually from identifying needs and meeting them on your own. See someone in need? Be careful. Be discerning, always, because there's plenty of people ready to take advantage of your money out there. But at the same time, if you know the person, the need is real. God is pleased if you give, so be generous. Giving meets the needs of the saints. Let's keep going. I told you we're going to kind of rapid fire because I want to cover a lot of territory. So number three, giving enables full-time pastoral ministry. Giving enables full-time pastoral ministry. This is another important reason for giving. Obviously, part of your giving goes to keep the lights on, the fans rotating, just pay the bills of our facility, which is nice. The church is not a building. Church doesn't even need to have a building per se. We're just we're just the saints together. That's the church. But it's nice to have one. It can facilitate our corporate worship. And so in Thanksgiving, it's good for us to take care of, of the building we have. That's that's a good thing. But in addition, giving supports those who work in the church building, so to speak, the, the full time ministers. We already saw this precedent from the Old Testament. Most of their tithes went to what? Or to whom? To the Levites, they were the full-time ministers. These guys, they spent all of their time serving the Lord, serving the people. They didn't have the ability to earn a a living wage. So how are they going to take care of themselves and their families? Well, God instructed the people to tithe, to give to them, so that they could be enabled to serve full-time. And today we don't tithe, but the principle applies that those who spend all their time serving the Lord and his people should be taken care of, should be helped. New Testament makes this equally clear for us. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, Paul instructs. He says, The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Now, real quick in the Bible, the words elder, pastor, and overseer, it's all the same thing, it's just one position study that before. But the point is, those who are of leadership in the church, some of them are going to be more gifted at teaching and preaching than others. And that's fine. And the church is better served if these men can be supported so that they can devote themselves to the ministry of the word. And that's what this verse is saying. And it makes sense. Really, in all disciplines, it's good to have specialists. And take, take, for example, medicine. I trust, I know, we all don't have the time and the money, and the ability to go study and learn how to do heart surgery. We're just not going to do it. 
Instead, other people, they spend the money, they spend the time, they go through a decade of schooling to learn about heart surgery, they practice. Eventually, they become experts in just one thing, heart surgery. They're just giving their whole lives to heart surgery. Then the day comes when we need heart surgery. So what do we do? Well, we pay these people for their skill, for their specialty. And you know what? We're happy to pay them for their skill because we can't do it. We're not going to do it on ourselves. And it's good because we need specialists, those who are you know, advanced in their craft, so to speak. And spiritually, the church is well served to have specialists, so to speak, in the word of God. These are men who know the word really well and they can communicate the word really well. And, you know, we need spiritual heart surgery more often than not as well. So, like I said, it serves the church. It should be a, a big reason for our giving. And obviously, you know, surprise, surprise, I am one who benefits from your giving. It's not why I say this. I'm not trying to be self-serving here. It's just from First Timothy. But I have to say, honestly, if no church ever gave me to, to support me in teaching and preaching, I'd still teach and preach. It's still my, my spiritual gifting. But men like me would not be enabled to do so every week on a full-time basis without the support. So it really is true that this church and others, especially those who have a high value on the Word of God, you do well by giving to support those in full-time ministry, whether it's a preacher or even the, the seminary professor. We need scholarship in the church. Uh, it's well worth our time and our money to give to them. So number three, God calls us to give to enable full-time pastoral ministry to serve the church. Number four, giving hinders the flesh. Giving hinders the flesh. Let me quick with this one because I mentioned it in the introduction, but another important reason to give is that it keeps in check idolatry toward money. Most people today, they don't worship little wooden idols. They tend to worship little green pieces of paper. And that's because for a lot of people, a desire for God in their hearts has been replaced with a desire for, for money. And that amounts to idolatry. And as Christians, we're not immune. We still have the, the sinful flesh, sinful desires residing within. Granted, we fight against them now, but greed, covetousness, idolatry, they can still tempt us and rear their ugly heads in our lives. So that's why Scripture tells us now to deny the flesh, to make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust, to hinder the flesh. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. It says, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry, he says. So we need to be fighting the flesh. How do we do it? How do we hinder these desires? Well, giving, when it comes to greed, is a great way. When you are giving money away for the right reasons, you are divesting your heart from a love for money. And really you're showing that you now have a greater love. You, you love the Lord. You love his people. You're letting go of that love for self. And you're really showing, you're putting your money where your heart is, your love for God. And that has a sanctifying effect. In the Old Testament, Israel went off into idolatry. God, God told them what? He said, tear down your idols and worship me alone. And for you, especially if you are really stumbled by greed and covetousness, then like the rich young ruler, you need to divest your heart of a love for money and instead give to invest in the love of God and the love of others. Giving really does go a long way in hindering the flesh and putting in check a very common idolatry toward money. 
And this is important. Giving hinders the flesh. Number five, giving remembers God's material gifts. Giving remembers God's material gifts. In the Old Testament, God gave Israel a very special warning. You, see, you, know, you know their history. They started off as slaves with nothing. But then God redeemed them, and he gave them a, a land, a land in which they would very much prosper. But God knew that as they prospered, and as they became wealthy, what would happen? They would forget God. They'd forget all he gave to them. And God foresaw that time. So he, he says to them in Deuteronomy 8:14, looking forward, he foresaw that time when their heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. And God says in that day, you will say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. You see, it's so easy that when you make money and you become wealthy, to think you earned it. You deserved it. My power, my intelligence, my, my own two hands made me this wealth. And you take the glory for yourself. But wait, who gave you your two hands and your intelligence and whatever you have? You see, all things come by God's grace and kindness. Therefore, God told them in Deuteronomy 8.18, He says, But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who is giving you the power to make wealth. So remember him. So in other words, especially for the rich, don't forget that you have all that you have just for one reason. God's kindness to you. His blessing to you. Can't explain it. He chose to bless you. Thank him. Remember him at the very least. Remember the one from whom all the blessings flow. And you remember by giving. That's how God instructed the Jews to do it. And that principle carries forth. When you give out of a gratitude to God, it transforms your giving into a real act of worship. Your giving then honors God, and that's what we're trying to do here. So even though we don't tithe anymore, but still from Proverbs 3.9, we can still apply, honor the Lord from your wealth. That's what we're trying to do. If you have a right view of God's sovereignty, you know you have all the nice things that you have because of his kindness and his grace to you. And so you give to remember him. It's not your stuff anyway. And when we we came with nothing, we're going to leave this earth with nothing. It's just his, and we're stewards in the meantime. So we give to remember this, to remember him. And as we remember, we thank, we worship. So giving remembers God's material gifts. Along those lines, relatedly, but even more importantly, number six, giving remembers God's spiritual gift. Not just his material gifts, but Number six, his spiritual gift. It's been said you're never more like God than when you are giving. And in a way, I think that's true. God expressed his highest love for us through the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. And when we give, motivated by a love for others, we are reflecting God's gift. We are reflecting the gospel in our lives. And that just leads to God's greater glory. You see this played out in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, which we saw some of last week. Paul was raising money for the poor and the suffering Christians in Jerusalem. And early on, the Corinthian church, they committed to give to that need. And now Paul is writing in 2 Corinthians, 
to ensure that they actually do it, that they follow through on their commitment. He reminds them, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, that they must give as they see fit, not out of obligation, not because they feel like they have to, but they give if they want to. But at the same time, there are many benefits for them to give, to contribute to this need. And so he tells them in verse 12 of 2 Corinthians 9, he says, for the ministry of this service, he's talking about the gift, is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. So he's saying, like, if you give this money, not only is it going to help these Christians in need, but it's going to overflow in, in praise to God. We're all going to, and the, especially the saints in Jerusalem, they're going to be singing God's praises because of your gift. And he says in verse 13, because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. See, the Corinthians, they claimed to confess the gospel. And then they said, as new Christians, yeah, we want to give to help these other Christians. And now by following through, they would be displaying the reality of that confession. Like, oh, they really meant it. They're real. They're real believers. And, and we can see the power of the gospel working in their lives. And the same is true. When you give, it's a powerful testimony to the reality of the gospel working in your life. That's really the only reason we, we're given so much to the church. I mean, why would we give that money away? I could spend it on myself. I could go on a vacation. I could do so many things with this money that would serve me. But as you give to others in need, you really are showing and showcasing the gospel has changed your life, changed your priorities, if it comes from a right heart, and that, that all leads to God's greater glory. That's what it's all about. And this still holds up today. God has given us so much, his son, his spirit, eternal life. We have received the indescribable gift of the gospel. And as we turn around and we give to others, we are remembering his spiritual gifts. We are reflecting his gift-giving nature. And it all leads to God's glory. And so it's no wonder that Paul ends that chapter, by the way, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 15. He just says, out of nowhere almost, but not really. He says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And that really is what it's all about. Everything has come from God. It will return to God. It's all from and for him anyway. And giving just goes forward to remember his gift, his gift of salvation. We have a few more to go. The remaining all come from Philippians chapter 4. So kind of quick, but you can turn there. Actually, now if you want to, turn to Philippians 4. We'll see these final ones. Number 7, giving facilitates the Great Commission. Number 7, giving facilitates the Great Commission. Philippi was the first city to receive the gospel in Europe from Paul. And they didn't forget this. Even as Paul moved on, went to other churches in Greece, they still had a special love for Paul and for the gospel. And on several occasions, they just out of nowhere gave money to support Paul and his ministry. And the book of Philippians, or the letter of Philippians, it's largely just a thank you letter from Paul to this church for their gifts. That's one of the main reasons he wrote this letter. And at the end of chapter 4, he's thanking them and he's commending them for their giving, because their giving has facilitated the spread of the gospel. 
giving contributes to the Great Commission. So notice what he says, Philippians 4, verse 14. He says, Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. See, as Paul is establishing these churches, at first, none of them were, were giving, but the Philippians, they so appreciated and valued the gospel that they immediately gave to see it spread. They knew the gospel is not meant to be hoarded, but shared. And so they gave to see it happen. And Paul, he commends this. Now that's, that's a wonderful thing. And that's why in the opening of the letter, chapter 1, he says they have, they're, his, they're his partners in the gospel. Now these, these Philippians, they weren't running around traveling, preaching, establishing churches. But by giving to him, they were participating in the gospel, he says. And the same is true today. If you have truly received the gospel and its benefits, you realize your responsibility to pass it along. And, and that's why we're all called to evangelize, but not everyone has the ability to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Yet, if you have the means, you can fund others in their efforts. So we want to give to support worldwide evangelism. Now, early in Paul's ministry, he had a day job. He worked full-time as a tent maker to support himself. And that's really smart because you don't want to show up in the mission field and, and start asking for money on day one. So he just, he just worked his job. He paid for himself. But as time went on, the churches realized how valuable it is to have a full-time missionary like Paul just do his thing. And so they, they joyfully gave to support him. And we need to be doing the same today. There are many faithful missionaries out there. They're ministering the same gospel as Paul did. And they need our support. That's why we here at this church support missions. So much of it goes to New Zealand, the Shepherd's Bible College. Really, even for a small church, able to make a large impact, which is, which is good. We want to keep that up. But in addition, nothing should stop you, again, from individually supporting a missionary. If you know someone, you see a need, we want to really be purposefully and intentionally giving to support these needs. And by this, you too participate in the Great Commission. It's not the same as, of course, going, sharing the gospel. We need to, do th- we need to be doing that always in our own community uh, all the time. But when it comes to spreading it across the world, giving is a key way you can see and participate in the gospel going forward. So let's keep that up. Number eight, giving is an eternal investment. Giving is an eternal investment. And continuing on in Philippians 4, he first thanks and commends them for their gift to him, their support. But he wants to make it clear, it's not really about the money. He says in verse 11, yeah, he's content, whether he has a lot or a little. It's not what it's about. He's not so concerned about getting their financial support as he is with seeing them spiritually grow and be blessed. And so he says in verse 17, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. In an earthly sense, this doesn't make sense. If you're giving your money away, there's no profit there. There's just loss. So how are you calling that profit if you're giving? But when you take Jesus at his word and remember what he said, you realize there is great gain to be had by giving to the Lord. Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 21, Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. 
But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And as Jesus told the rich young ruler, giving to others is the primary way you invest in heaven. And look, we, we really don't know for sure what this treasure in heaven really looks like. We don't know. It's almost certainly not literal dollar bills. In fact, I'll say it's certainly not literal dollar bills. But take Christ's word at face value. Your actions here on this earth coming from the right heart have some real impact in your time in heaven. That's just what he said, plain and simple. There's some greater blessing to be had, some eternal return on investment. Even this is by God's grace, but Jesus and here Paul, they're presenting this as a legitimate motive for giving. You should give to store up treasure in heaven. That's legitimate. And when you do that, it's so pleasing to God. Why? Because it requires so much faith. And one thing is sure, you're not going to see this heavenly treasure here on earth. And to those in the world, this is the ultimate foolishness. You know, giving here, and yeah, you're going to get it back in heaven. Yeah, right. I mean, it's the ultimate folly, but for those of the faith, when Jesus promises some eternal return on investment, it's a good deal. That sounds like a good deal. God is pleased when we have the faith to give away our lives and our stuff more and more on this earth in anticipation of our lives with him in heaven. So yes, you should give to invest in eternity. Well, almost done. A couple more. Number nine, giving helps you depend on God. Giving helps you depend on God. Look at Philippians 4, verse 19. He continues and he says, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We read 2 Corinthians 8 last week. Paul was commending the Macedonian churches for their gift to the Jerusalem saints, even though they were poor. And Philippi was one of the Macedonian churches, probably the most prominent when it comes to the giving. So many of these Christians, they were living in rock-bottom poverty, but they still were giving to support others. I mean, how could that be? Well, they just so overflowed with the love for God. They cherished the gospel. They wanted to see the gospel spread. We've already talked about how that pleases God. But there's an added benefit to their giving. You see, when you give, especially in a sacrificial manner, it puts yourself in a position to be dependent on God. And that's a good thing. You want to be dependent on God. You're reminded of your dependence on God for all things. And that's a good thing. You need to be actively remembering and relying on God all the time. Giving helps with that. Giving challenges you. Now, what are you living for? What are you trusting in? A lot of people view money as their security blanket. They can't give. They need, to, they need this for their retirement. They need this for their savings, their nest egg. They can't really, what if something bad happens? They need their money there. It's, it's their security. They depend on it. But all such hope in money is really misplaced. It's really an illusion that your money is your security. Your money can't save you. And your money certainly can't bring you into the next life. It's only of limited value in this life. Rather, only God can save you. Only God can deliver you from everything in this life and even into the next. You need to be betting on him. You need to be trusting in him for your day-to-day life. It's not to say, as Christ even would say, you give away everything, we become dependent on others 100%. But 
we do need to learn to trust in the Lord to meet our needs, and he will, as Paul relates. He says God will supply all of your needs, not some of them, all of your needs. And he will do so according to his riches and glory. And that's a lot. God has a lot to give. He, he can more than take care of you. That's not a concern. God is a good heavenly father to his children, so trust in him, not your money. Depend on him for life, not your money. And still use your money. We're stewards, of course, but the trust and the dependence needs to be on him. And when you give your money away, you are showing that you trust him and you depend on him, especially in a sacrificial manner where, you know, I could actually use this money, but you give, you trust the Lord instead. Last but not least, number 10. Giving is pleasing to God. Giving is pleasing to God. Kind of wrapping it up. But based on what we learned last week, this this really what it comes down to. Why do we do the things we do as Christians? Any of them. And the answer is because they are pleasing to God. And that's what our new redeemed hearts want to do. And giving fits this description. I skipped verse 18, but look back at verse 18 of Philippians 4. He says, but I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Now, if you read that verse out of context, you might get the impression that the Philippians sent Paul like a bunch of scented candles or like incense or something like that. But he's talking about their monetary gift as a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. See, he's purposefully channeling Old Testament imagery. In the Old Testament, the smoke of the burnt offering was pictured as rising up to heaven and acting as a a fragrant aroma before the Lord. It's just a picturesque way of saying that God was pleased by their sacrifice and their offering. And likewise, if you have any doubts that giving today is pleasing to God, that this verse settles it. This is one type of offering that God always loves the free will love gifts of his children. God doesn't need your money to build his church. But he is pleased when his children display their faith and their love by giving to his purposes. That's really interesting that in Ephesians 5, the death of Christ is described almost in the same way as, as this gift of money. It says Christ gave himself as an offering, a sacrifice a well-pleasing aroma to the Lord, a fragrant aroma. And what does it tell you that Christ's act of giving and our act of giving are described with nearly the same terms? It just, I think, goes to show you how important God views this and how pleasing it is. And indeed, God is so pleased when we give because in the end, as we give, we are imitating Christ's sacrificial act of giving. That's why we give and we imitate him. So for believers, giving becomes really a no-brainer. If we aim to live out what we learned last week especially, of course, you're going to give. You don't need a command. You don't need someone to twist your arm to make you feel guilty or obligated. If you're a true believer, and, and especially after hearing what you've heard today, all you need is 2 Corinthians 5.9 paired with Philippians 4.18. Therefore, we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. That's our goal in life. And giving certainly fits that bill. So we've covered this morning 10 reasons God wants you to give. But in reality, 
This really should be 10 reasons you should want to give of your own heart. If you've been redeemed and changed, giving is now something you want to do for all the reasons that we've talked about out of a new heart. And you pair this heart with the right motivation with the act of actually putting your money where your mouth is and giving, and you have real tangible worship before the Lord. And that's, that's what all of this is about. We're here to worship and remember Him. If God loves a cheerful giver, it's safe to say He finds no pleasure in a begrudging, coerced, obliged giver. We're not under the law. We're not doing this because we're commanded. But don't let that lead you to believe that giving is unimportant to God. He highly values us to give. We, we really reflect Him and remember Him when we give. So let's take this to heart. To heart. And today, hopefully, we have informed your heart and your heart's desires so that you can give for the right reasons. You have to be convicted of God's will clearly if you are to pursue his will. And hopefully you've accomplished that today. And if you needed to boil it down, it's, it's just as simple as this. God has given to us so much. And we would say everything, spiritually, even physically, materially, we're taken care of. And we even have eternal life waiting. And we, how do we get it all? It's just by a gift. And so with that logic, and if you've, if you've been touched by that gift, how can you not turn around and give to others? It really is that simple. So let's take that to heart. Let's take all these reasons to heart. And let's be practicing this important practice before the Lord of giving from a worshipful heart, and God will be pleased. And then we can, we should always be saying along with Paul, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let's pray. Our gracious God in heaven, indeed you are the one from whom all blessings flow. We are here today as the the beneficiaries, the recipients of, of your gifts. You gave us life. You gave us breath. We are alive because of you and your will. We are sustained because of your gifts. Your sovereignty is ultimately responsible for our food and water and shelter and clothing, everything we need for life. On top of that, you have given us so many kindnesses, wealth, houses, cars, just a a comfortable life. We are more than blessed. And on top of all that, by your grace in Christ, you've chosen to give us new life, a second life, salvation in Christ. And even to accomplish that required another gift, a gift of, of Christ himself coming to earth, living a perfect life, dying on the cross, though, to pay the penalty for our sins, that if we would repent and believe and follow him, we would receive this gift. That's what grace is all about. This was a grace gift, a free will offering that you made on our behalf, and we are just the benefit, the beneficiaries of that. Lord, we thank you. We need to be remembering your gift all the time, physical and spiritual. And I pray we are moved in our hearts now to, to want to be like you, just to honor you, to, to show you worship by giving the way you gave. You know, we can't save others, of course, but we can use what we have, our time, our energy, our money, to help others. And in this, we love you, and we love others at the same time. And this becomes our worship. Convict our hearts. If any are, are being uh, gripped by the love of money, greed, or covetousness, may we just let that go, deny the flesh, and seek to be more like you, pleasing to you in all ways. That's what we're in this for. We want to just thank the God who gave us so much. Thanks be to you, Lord, for your indescribable gift. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.